Someone provocatively commented this week, look at all those uh, closed churches this Easter, to which rightly came the accurate uh, reply. Not at all. There are now places of worship in every Christian home. Our series through 1 Corinthians under the title Messy Church, we're discovering that there is so much in the first century Corinthian church to celebrate. And in the midst of the mess, real, honest problems and issues. It is messy, but God is at work. Ever it is so. That old quip, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it, is undoubtedly true. No one is perfect, but by the grace and power of God, we are a work in progress. Remember Jesus' followers, the ones he called, the ones he called by name, uh, carried for us in the Gospels. Tell us about the diverse community that he said, come be with me. There were the tax collectors, there were the fishermen, there were the ex-sex workers, the religious, and indeed the broken. But they were all called by Jesus. Reading the gospel stories demonstrates that this newly gathered fellowship of people, this fledgling church, the gathered, at times was messy. In Corinth, Paul established the church there because he lived in the city for about 18 months and he preached about Jesus, the Messiah, the crucified one, the risen one, using persuasive words and called people to believe and to worship Jesus and many, many did, Jewish and non-Jewish, what are called Gentiles. Those who were free, Roman citizens, and the slaves. Remember, most likely this was a really mixed racial group. Romans made slaves from their conquests, from where they had military victories. From the far parts of northern Europe, from northern Africa, from the Middle East. A whole mixed group, and likely to be in the trading hub in Corinth. And indeed, we know there were men and women. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 12 to 13, that, that Philip read for us, reminds us that there, are, there is one body yet made up of so many different parts. So what brings this motley crew together? Well, it's faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the crucified, the risen, the reigning who unites us with the Father through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Corinth, it was messy, as it often is. Sometimes I get asked this question. It's been asked both here at Camden Baptist Church and in other places. Someone says to me, it's tough being in church because there's no one like me with whom I can form a a really close friendship, whether they mean by that a particular age group or a particular background or a particular life stage. And sometimes it is tough. But I always draw back to this truth that we're called to be part of this family, however messy and awkward at times it might be, but it is a family 
that God has called us together, not as a club, but as a gathered people of rescued and saved and being made new. This is who we are. This is who the body of Christ is. This is the family of God with teenagers and disabled and immigrants and, and businesswomen and unemployed and entrepreneurs of the house husband and those that struggle with depression, the single, the married, the widowed, all called by Jesus to one family. And at times it's messy. So in Corinth, and this letter recorded for us that Paul wrote and we have, in Corinth, the letters are real and honest. And Paul deals with some of these messy issues head on, and yet they are key issues. He's talked about unity and division, the cliques that were amongst them. We've uh, can please refer back to previous messages. He speaks in chapter 13, and we'll come to this, uh, about the power of love to save and to reform in all things. And indeed, so much of the letter is dealing with how faith is worked out in the everyday aspects of life, in the city, in the marketplace, in family, and so forth. But in chapter 14, he deals with the mess in worship. With all these different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, different cultures, different ways of doing things, he draws them back to some things that are at the heart of the matter. And indeed, as we've heard read, it was messy. He starts in, in uh, the beginning of chapter 14 by saying, eagerly desire the greater gift, especially prophecy. We'll cover this in the, in the coming weeks this year. And at first sight, in hearing that chapter read, it seems to be Paul is talking and, and particularly f uh, focusing on, on the difference between tongues and prophecy. And yet, both are being exercised aplenty, this spiritual language of revelation, of prophetic words. And indeed, it had got to the place in doing so, as they gathered, that it got untidy and messy. So before I outline some principles, don't forget how the believers were in the church. What do I mean? Well, they weren't, they weren't gathering in a building like I'm speaking in now. They weren't gathering in a place with a spire or somewhere that would call, be called a sanctuary. But the church in Corinth was meeting in homes. They gathered together in people's houses, house churches, the household. And so it's perhaps especially apt in our mode of church right now that we aren't gathered in one central location on a Sunday morning as we would normally be. But we're gathered in homes, gathered together as a church family, indeed often in family units. But remember, we're still the family of God right now. As much now as we are in normal times when we would gather at the high school or here in the church building on the high street. It's different, yes. There's optimism and opportunity to discover and rediscover something new. Are we disenfranchised by not being able to meet together like we used to? Not at all. 
And so in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, I think undergirding all this discussion about tongues and and prophecy is actually Paul reminding them about what it means to worship. Now, I don't know if if you're anything like me, but I am missing our gifted and, and talented worship leaders and band members who lead us week by week and help us to sing and praise and worship. And we're delighted that we have YouTube uh, and where we can draw together songs with lyrics and, and worship together in that way. But it's not the same, is it? But right now we are being forced, because of circumstances, to relearn how we worship. So in 1 Corinthians 14, underneath this discussion about how worship should look, Paul is really driving at and wants to remind us, and I, I do too this morning, about the priority praise and worship and prayer has in the life of the local church, of us. In verses 15, Uh, to 17 of of chapter 14, he says this really clearly. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is uh, now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen? In other words, worship and praise and prayer, a part of genuine faith, are a direct result of the presence of the Holy Spirit and our love for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was risen, uh, just before he ascended into heaven in in the end of, of Matthew 28, in verse 16, we're told that they gathered with Jesus on the mountain and they worshipped him. In chapter 14, uh, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, they're told they sing together. Ephesians 5 talks about how the church should be full of psalms and hymns and songs. In other words, heartfelt praise is this striking characteristic of of the early church. Remember in prison, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas chained up were singing hymns in the dead of night. In chapter 14, they were singing in the spirit, probably meaning tongues here, and he talks about singing with his mind. Well, maybe they are songs that are known. But right at the heart of the church, the worshipping church, the gathered church, is worship and prayer and praise. I want to underline that a little bit, because it's easy when we're watching YouTube And using the song list that our worship leaders have provided for us in our uh, worship times together. It's easy to be a little bit passive because we're watching a screen. It is happening there and we're just sort of sitting watching. I don't know if you are joining in with singing or it feels a little bit weird. But the same can be true of worship that is led live by a band with singers and worship leaders. It can seem that it's, it's them doing it and we're sort of participating, but maybe a little bit passively. Paul is saying the heart of worship, it's all about Jesus. I'm, I'm reminded of a story that um, we've heard a lot at Soul Survivor that, that um, Mike Pilavachi 
recounts. And it's, it's about Matt Redman. And it's about a song that was written called When the Music Fades, All is Stripped Away. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. It's a great song. But the reason it came to be was that as Matt Redmond became famous and popular and and Soul Survivor began, the the church in Watford began to grow and people started coming in and and other musicians, they found that, that it was becoming about the band and the performance and the lights and that worship moment. And people came almost as if they were coming to a concert. So they took the really brave decision of saying, we're going to stop uh, the, the kind of band's music, and we're going to find ways of worshipping God, worshipping and loving Jesus, without a band set up. And they said initially it was really tough because it was different. It's not what they knew. But over the course of a few weeks, they discovered a new way of worshipping. When the music fades, all is stripped away. So Matt Redman wrote that song as... He couldn't uh, be leading worship in the way that he had, but the Spirit was at work. And it became a song that was really helpful for them and for the wider church. So what does that mean for us? We're not gathered in our church setting as normal. We're not blessed by our wonderful musicians uh, in live, kind of with us together. And we're making do with, with YouTube and lyrics, with bands and contexts and events around the world. It's good. But I wonder if there's opportunity for us to learn about worship in a different way. Maybe to worship as families. Maybe to worship on our own. Maybe it might take a little bit of dusting off that instrument that is lodged away under a bed or in a cupboard to get out that guitar or that recorder, or maybe even find some simple percussion. There's been so many times when I've, I've been overseas serving in, in contexts like India where we've gathered in a place and the only instrument at all is a drum or a voice. Maybe to let the voice ring out, not just in the shower when you're on, a, on your own, You see, there's a danger for us that we just allow worship in these contexts to be passive. I think Paul would say it's about us, of what we each bring. Indeed, in verse 15, as I read earlier, he talks about worship in tongues or or whether there should be interpretations. So in worship today, eagerly desire and ask God for He's gifting. Maybe ask him as, as we're sort of confined, isolated, restricted from gathering. Maybe say, Jesus, can you help me to worship you? Would you gift me with the gift of tongues and step out in faith in that way in order that you can worship him in a fresh way and build yourself up in faith? He loves to give good gifts to his children. Because at the heart of this, We're called to grow in our love for Jesus. And an outward expression of that is our willingness to worship and praise and pray. Again and again in Paul's letter, he is praying and praising. We have in his letters to the church in Corinth and all the others, if you happen to read through them, we see his prayers that have been written 
to be read out in the churches, but nonetheless, he's praying for his fellow brothers and sisters. Maybe uh, finding fresh ways to worship and praise and pray. Maybe about learning to journal, to write prayers. Maybe give it a go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he talks about a season, actually a family prayer, of setting aside time in order to pray together as a family. We are being kind of provoked to do that because of these current circumstances. It is a top priority. Indeed, one of the things I've really noticed in the last couple of weeks is that a lot of the activism of church life has stopped we aren't being dictated to by meetings of having to be at things. Our names aren't cropping up on a rotor and have to be there early for something or to lead something. The one of the gifts of this time is actually time and space. And maybe the Spirit is provoking us to worship and to pray. Secondly, I think, very importantly, is participation. In verse 26 especially, the scope of this is amazing. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word or an instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation that everything must be done to build the church up. That is an amazing scope. Now, obviously, when we gather as a larger fellowship uh, on a Sunday morning, how do we do that? It's not really very practical that everyone brings something. But in these times when we're gathered together in a smaller number, we can do that. He says, of course, in this passage, to do things in an orderly manner, not in a chaotic manner, not kind of things from left field and right field coming in and, and conflicting with each other. But in homes and families, in in these smaller gatherings of worship, what do you bring? What can you bring? What is the Lord inspiring in you? It's great that we have this facility in the 21st century to have a recorded sermon delivered into our homes. Fantastic. To help us to keep together. But it's not just that. It's not just once a week. One of the things Kate and others have really encouraged us to do is catch and chat. Again, we encourage you to do that in family time or with time together. Uh, To listen to God, to chat it through, to read a scripture together, to ask questions, learn together. To participate, not just be an audience. I've loved having participation and involvement so far from Noah and Sam and Caleb and Will and Rebecca. It's been brilliant. Time to read the scriptures. What does it say? Maybe in reading the scriptures, a song, you think, oh, I'd love to sing this song. We can access things like YouTube online. Or maybe sing it at home. You can find the lyrics really easily. Of course, this isn't perfect. Of course, it's not ideal. It's a little bit messy. But that's what we're discovering in Corinth. We're learning together. We're growing in our faith. Maybe uh, a little bit like me, that you're, you're on your own a little bit more. There isn't a family around you, but we still have access to a phone. We can still arrange to pray with someone if you're in a prayer partnership or triplet. Or maybe phone someone up and say, can we just spend a few moments with encouragement? Time to declare what you're thankful for. 
or to share a testimony of what you've seen God do. To put into effect this word that crops up again and again in this chapter of edify, to build one another up, each other up. And finally, in the midst of this, in worshipping and praying and praising, of participating, what do we bring? There's the heart and the sense of the place of witness. We heard it in verses 24 to 25. Paul is saying, always be mindful of those gathering, even now, who haven't yet chosen themselves for Jesus. You can do that today. You can become a follower of Jesus by saying, Jesus, forgive me. I trust in you. I believe in you. I give my life to you, and I will follow you from this point onwards. We're watching this online. This is an internet audience. I, I don't know who is watching. I'm glad we are as a family, but, but it's humbling and slightly daunting to know that this is being viewed far beyond Chipping Camden across the world. But also, I'm really mindful that as you're gathering, it's often with family and children of young people together who may or may not have made a commitment yet. It may be your partner, your husband or wife who is there with you. That Phil and I are delighted to be able to bring recorded sermons, but actually, it's about who we are and your witness, too. Of your witnesses, you worship as you spend time loving the Lord, filled by his Spirit. It's been great to hear some of the amazing ways and opportunities that you're, that you're having in sharing your faith and witness with neighbours. The buildings may be closed and empty, but the church is alive because his people are alive, scattered and yet faithful. So praise and worship and prayer of participation. What do we bring? Of How is the Spirit inspiring you? And the place of evangelism witness in all of these things, central aspects, cords, threads, foundational scaffolding, of what a local church and a live church is about. It's different for us right now. It's not what we're used to. And yet I want to just finish by reminding us that this experience that we're living through is actually the lived experience of many of our sisters and brothers around the world. This is their normal. And it's so heartening to know that their normal our new experience is a place where the gospel is flourishing, that the church is alive. And my prayer is that that experience may be ours and our example. God bless you.